Well, good morning and welcome again. So glad that you are here today. This morning we're continuing walking through Matthew chapter 16 together. Last week we looked at the greatest question ever asked a man. Remember what Jesus did? Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked him, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That question that was asked some 2,000 years ago demanded an answer then, and it equally demands an answer today. Have you answered that question? Do you know who Jesus is? Have you answered that question as Peter did? He is the Christ, or you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is He Christ to you? Have you called on Him to be your Savior and Lord? If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. This morning, we're actually going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that is probably one of the most difficult passages in all of God's Word. It is a a passage in which we are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus on a daily basis basis. It is not an easy message to be received. It's not an easy message to preach, but it is the next message in our Matthew series. And so we're going to dive into God's Word this morning. And my prayer for all of us is that we will be transformed by the Word of God. So turn with me once again to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 28 together. This is what we read. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains a whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man gain in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Notice our message point this morning it is this, without the cross there is no gospel. Had Jesus not been the sacrificial Lamb of God, there would be no gospel message. You see, without a cross, there would be no crown. Notice our first point this morning is this. Jesus' plan revealed. Jesus' plan revealed. You know, as we read through this great book together, on Wednesday night we're walking through the Old Testament, doing an Old Testament survey class together, and one of the things that are in the notes for that study is this. As we read through the pages of God's Word, we read a real story consistent of real people in real places. It is the story of the people of God. When we read God's Word, we read a story of the people of God. Within the pages, we read stories of success and failure, of sin and death, 
of, 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 of life and death, of sin and redemption. Within the opening pages of Genesis, we read the creation account. How God created everything out of nothing. He created man and woman in his image. He created a perfect environment for them to dwell in. He gave them but one rule, didn't he? And what was that one rule? There is one tree that they were forbidden to eat from. Just one tree. But what did Adam and Eve do? They ate of that one tree that they were forbidden not to eat from. What Adam and Eve did is they did what every single person in this room has done. Disobeyed a direct command from our fathers. You know, think about it. You know, all of us in this room are rule breakers, aren't we? When we're told no, what do we do? We usually do it anyway. Think about your children as they were growing up. You tell them not to touch that pot because it's hot. What do they do? They touch that pot. Okay, they want to see if it's really hot. You tell them not to bite. What do they do? They bite. You tell them not to hit. What do they do? They hit. You tell them not to run with scissors. What do they do? They run with scissors, don't they? They disobey a direct command. And that is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. They disobeyed a direct command from God the Father. And as a result of that, at that moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command, this perfect couple became a fallen couple. At that moment, man was cursed and the earth was cursed. Also at that moment, and this is where the good news begins, at that moment, God's redemptive plan was set into motion. And we read of that also in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. And this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see how Jesus affirmed that plan. So notice the mission. Notice Jesus's mission. In verse 21 we read, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This morning's message is entitled, The Cross and the Crown. Jesus was on a mission, and Jesus knew that before there could be a crown, there first had to be a cross. In the first verse, um, first verse, verse 21, in those first opening words, Matthew wrote, from that time Jesus began. What we see in our passage this morning is a major shift in Jesus' ministry. In the first 16 chapters of Matthew, we see Jesus as being the great disciple maker. He has been the great teacher, the great healer. He is God in the flesh. He has been discipling and equipping the future leaders of the church to carry on the mission of the church following his death, resurrection, and ascension. And now his message begins to change. And he begins to con- he continues to disciple and equip. But notice what else he does. He begins his death march toward Jerusalem. That is the best way to say what we see in this passage of scripture this morning. As Jesus sets his eyes towards Jerusalem, what he is doing is he is setting his eyes toward the cross, that execution piece in which he is going to die upon. In so preparing them, he also announces who his executioners will be. 
It will be those that made up the Sanhedrin. There's three different classes of people that made up the Sanhedrin. There were the elders of the city. There were the, the, the chief priests, which would have consisted of both Pharisees and Sadducees. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how the Pharisees and the Sadducees had come together. They were complete sworn enemies of each other, but they come together. Why? Because they are planning to defeat Jesus, and they want Jesus dead, and they're willing to go to any extreme to make sure that happens. And then there's also the scribes, which would have been a party of the Pharisees. These three groups would be responsible for his death. But notice Peter. Notice Peter's objection. We read in verse 22, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Like any any follower, Peter resolutely objects to the words of Jesus. Peter did not like what Jesus was saying to him, did he? He did not want to hear that his master, that his leader, that God in the flesh that had come to dwell amongst him and the disciples. He did not want to hear that Jesus was, was marching toward his death, did he? He didn't want to have anything to do with that. So what does he do? He pulls Peter, or he pulls Jesus aside for a little heart-to-heart meeting with him, for a sidebar meeting, and he says basically to Jesus, "In order for them to get to you, Jesus, they're going to have to come through me." And we know Peter was serious about that, don't we? Because you remember the day that Jesus was arrested. You remember when the when all of those came um, um, to the garden to arrest him? What did Peter do? Peter pulled out his sword and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Peter was ready to defend Jesus at any cost. Within our passage this morning, Jesus has just predicted his death at the hands of the leaders of Israel. He has told his disciples of this, and Peter was not satisfied with what he was hearing. Let me ask you a question this morning. If I was to tell you that tomorrow I was going to get on an airplane, and I was going to fly to North Korea, and and I would be guaranteed, and I'm guaranteeing you as well, that I will die a martyr's death. How many of you would try to stop me from getting on that plane? I hope some of you would try to stop me from getting on that plane. How many of you would try to stop me from getting on that plane? Okay, a few of you would try to stop me from getting on that plane, even though I boldly attest to you that God is the one that's calling me to get on that plane and go to North Korea to spread the good news of Jesus among this repressive regime. And I guarantee you I'm going to die. Some of you still would try to convince me otherwise. At least I hope you would try to convince me otherwise. Hopefully you like me and love me enough to attempt to do that. You'd come up to me and you would, you, would, you would make sure that I really was able to discern the voice of God. Are you sure that is what God is calling you to do? Some of you would say that. Others of you would say, how do you know that it's God calling you to go to North Korea and not Satan calling you to get on that airplane? Because there's nothing more that Satan wants than for you to die. And when I think about Peter... You know, I don't, I don't see what Peter did as being anything more than that. He loved Jesus. And he wanted to be with Jesus as long as he possibly could be. Here's the problem with that. You have the created 
person, Peter, questioning the Creator's will for his own life and the lives of all those that dwell there as well as those that will come after. How often do you find yourself doing that very thing, questioning God and questioning God's will for your life or for another person's life? Notice what Jesus does. Jesus rebukes Peter. We read in verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Just a few verses ago, what did Jesus say of Peter? Peter, Jesus made the declaration that, that, that Peter was set apart amongst all men. Because he correctly identified who Jesus was. Now he has been called an agent of Satan. What in the world happened in those few verses between there? What did Peter do wrong is what I come back for, to you asking this morning. I was reading a book this week by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. And within that book, he wrote these words. He said, suffering and rejection is laid upon Jesus as a divine necessity. And every attempt to prevent it, 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 it is the work of the devil, especially when it comes from his own disciple. For it is, in fact, an attempt to prevent Christ from being Christ. Every attempt to prevent the work of Christ is the work of the devil. Peter found himself to be a stumbling block and a potential enemy of Christ and his church by getting in the way of the work that had to be completed. The cross was Christ's mission. Anything or anyone that hindered Jesus, anyone that hindered Jesus' death march toward Jerusalem was an enemy of his and thus an enemy agent of the devil is what we read this morning. That is why Jesus told Peter to get behind him. Are you a stumbling block this morning? Are you hindering the work of Christ this morning? Are you hindering that, that, the work of Christ and his mission for your own life? Are you hindering his work and his mission for, the, for your children's life or maybe um, for this church's life? For somebody in this church, are you hindering his mission this morning? If you are a stumbling block to his mission, you can be certain that you will be moved out of the way of his mission. That we can be certain of. Once again, before there was a crown, there was a cross. Notice our second point this morning. Jesus instructs his disciples to consider the cost. In verse 24 we read, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now after Jesus tells his disciples that he is on his own death march toward Jerusalem, what does he do? He turns to his disciples and he tells his disciples that they are to take up their cross and follow after him. This call to extreme discipleship was, was not just a call that Jesus was calling his band of brothers, those 12 that he called and set apart to be his disciples. 
That call is a call that is directed at each and every one of us in this room this morning. All of us in this room have been instructed in Scripture that if we want to be followers of Jesus, then we must take up our cross and follow Him. This cross was, was, was our form of, of what we would say would be the, execu- or the electric chair or the hypodermic needle that is used today to execute prisoners. Anyone that was to take up their cross was certain to die a criminal's death. And so what is Jesus telling his disciples to do? He's telling them to take up their cross and follow them. Let me ask you a question this morning. If the day that you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you were told that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you had to first take up your cross and follow after Jesus, how many of you in this room would have immediately turned your life over to Jesus and strapped that big old wooden cross on your back and begun to follow after Jesus. Probably most of us in this room, we would have given second thoughts to following after Jesus. Because why? Because the cross is heavy. The cross is difficult. The cross is something that's going to weight us down. But that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Becoming a follower of Jesus is more than you and I just saying a prayer. It is more than you and I just walking an aisle. It's more than you and I just going through those baptismal waters. Being a follower of Jesus means that we are going to abandon our lives and take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're going to begin a new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you and I become a follower of Jesus Christ, we literally make a 180 turn. We turn completely around and we begin a new life following after Jesus Christ. We don't continue in our old way of life. That's why following Jesus, there is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to discipleship. There is something that we must do and, and one of those things that we must do is we must take up our cross and follow after Jesus Christ. This new life in Christ that we have been called to involves a cross. Jesus calls a person to come and die. It is a call to denial. In verse 24 again we read, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Matthew Henry's commentary, he stated this, The first lesson in Christ's school is self-denial. The reason self-denial must be first within Christ's school of discipleship is because if we do not put Christ first, who are we going to put first? We're going to put ourselves first, aren't we? We already believe that this world revolves around us and that we can control all of the events that happen in life. Well, folks, this world does not revolve around us. This world revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. We are we are called to to put Jesus first. We're called to deny ourselves. Where do you find yourself this morning? Do you find yourself as being the center of your universe or is Jesus the center of your universe? This universe does not revolve around us. It revolves around God the Father. And we must deny ourselves if we're going to truly be the disciples that Jesus Christ has called us to be. He is the center of the universe. And we must live our lives for Him 
totally yielded to him. Now, as I said, this is not an easy message to preach, and this isn't an easy message to hear, because no one wants to hear that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to take up a cross. No one likes to hear that if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to deny yourself and deny your wants and deny your your needs and deny all of these different things. We don't like to hear these things. And we also see that if we want to follow after Jesus, it is a call to die. In verse 25 we read, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, you and I have a hard time with this verse. Most likely because we have a hard time losing, don't we? We live in a world that is all about everyone receiving a consolation price, don't we? You know, I remember growing up, And, you know, I played sports, loved sports, still love sports. And I remember the first place team, they got a trophy that was about 12 inches tall. Okay? Second place team, they got a trophy about 6 inches tall. Third place team, if they got a trophy, it was about that big. If they didn't get a trophy, they may have gotten a ribbon. If they didn't get that, they went home empty-handed. Today, though, what does it look like? Today, the first place team, they get this trophy about uh, 6 foot tall. Maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, okay? But the last place team, they get one that's about 3 foot tall. Everyone in between gets one that's kind of um, scattered between those sizes. Why is that? Because we have programmed our kids that everyone is a winner. Everybody gets something for playing in the game. You know, that is not true. A loser is a loser, okay? Just as simple as that. A loser is a loser. Okay? Many of you in this room tonight are going to watch the Super Bowl. Okay? There's going to be one team that is going to be crowned the winner. There's also going to be a second place team. Here's what I promise you. That second place team is not going to be jumping around, hooping and hollering because they finished second. They're going to see themselves as being the first loser. You watch the game tonight. When that game's over, you're going to see a bunch of grown giants balling on the sideline. Why are they going to be balling on the sideline? Because they are losers. All right? Today, there is going to be one winner, and there is going to be one loser. That team that finished 0-16, wasn't it the Cleveland Browns this year that finished 0-16? Okay, they're not going to be seen as the losers today. All right, It's going to be either the New England Patriots or the Philadelphia Eagles. They are going to be seen as the loser. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus calls us to a life of total abandonment of ourselves and total surrender to Him. All of us are called to surrender our lives and lose our lives at the cross. Within Christ's economy, we win by losing. We are called to lose everything for the sake of Christ. Bonhoeffer also wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We die to ourselves in order to live for Christ. Paul wrote these words in Galatians 2. 19 through 20. For though the law, 
For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Taking up our cross does not mean that you and I are going to die a martyr's death. Okay, Doesn't mean that we're going to die for being a Christian. Literally and physically. Could mean that for some of us in this room. But it does not mean that. Taking up one's cross means we die to this life for a better life to come. Bonhoeffer also said, in fact, every command of Jesus is a call to die with all our affections and lusts. But we do not want to die, and therefore Jesus Christ and his call are necessarily our death as well as our life. The call to discipleship, the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ means both death and life. The call of Christ, his baptism, sets the Christian in the middle of the daily arena against sin and the devil. Every day he encounters new temptations, and every day he must suffer anew for Jesus Christ's sake. The wounds and scars he receives in the fray are living tokens of the participation in the cross of his Lord. You and I are called to die. We are also called to a life of abandonment. In verse 26 we read, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We lose everything, not in order to live with nothing, but so that we can gain the greatest possession ever, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. In Romans 6.23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift. Jesus Christ wants to provide a free gift for each and every one of us in this room. He wants to give us the gift of eternal life, and we will receive that gift when we abandon our plans for his plans, when we take up the cross and follow him, and when we repent of our sins and begin a new life in Christ. Notice our final point this morning. It is this, Jesus, righteous judge. In verses 27 through 28, we read, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Within this passage, I want us to look at three different things together. The first thing is this. Notice his return. Notice Jesus' return. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Jesus is speaking of His second coming here. He is telling His disciples and He is telling each and every one of us in this room, yes, a cross will be necessary. Yes, Death is inevitable for Jesus, but you and I know that that grave did not hold him. We also know there was an ascension 
that occurred. There was a resurrection that occurred. And with his resurrection and his ascension is a promise that he will return again. Jesus Christ is going to return again. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be a thousand years from now. We do not know when Jesus is going to return, but we have the promise that he is going to return. And guess what? You and I need to be ready for his return. We need to live with an urgency of expectation of Jesus Christ's return so that when he does return, we are ready. You see, when Jesus returns, he will not come as a suffering servant as he did during his first advent. But he's going to come as the righteous judge. He is going to come as a righteous king. He's not going to be wearing a cross on his second return. He's going to be wearing a crown, a victor's crown. He will come as the righteous judge. Notice his judgment. And we read here, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. In Hebrews 9.27 we read, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. In 2 Corinthians 5.10 we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due him for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. There is coming a day when everyone will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and will have to give an account for their life. If you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ today, would you stand before Jesus as a believer, or would you stand before Jesus as an unbeliever? If you stand before Jesus as a believer, if you were to do that today, then you would receive your eternal reward. If you were to stand before Jesus today, and you had not repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ and abandoned your life for a better life, then you would stand before judgment, and you will be condemned to death eternally. There is coming a day of judgment. It is real. This is not a make-believe book. There's not some things within this book that are true while other things are not true. All of this word is true. And we must understand this morning that there is a day of judgment coming. And all of us need to be ready for that day. If you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I want to invite you this morning in just a moment to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to place your faith and trust in Jesus to turn from your sins then take up your cross and abandon everything to begin a new life in Him. Because remember... Within Christ's economy, losing is actually winning. We also see Jesus speaks of his reward. In verse 28, we read, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You know, this is one of those passages that could be interpreted several different ways. One commentator um, puts it like this, says the predicted events have been variously interpreted and it's referring to the disciples seeing Jesus during his transfiguration, to his resurrection, to the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. 
the spread of the kingdom through the preaching of the early church, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. You know, we don't know exactly what um, Jesus was referring to there. Okay, but we know that probably all of those things in some way or another are true. What we do know this, we know that, that, that many of those men experienced the raining down of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. Subsequently, they were instrumental in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the known world during their lives. They experienced God's kingdom come just like you and I have experienced Christ's kingdom when we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If Christ reigns supremely in your heart, then we will be blessed with the privilege of advancing the kingdom of God amongst the peoples of this world, amongst those outside of these doors. You and I have an active role within Christ's kingdom come here on this earth as we go and advance the kingdom of God outside the doors of this church. Jesus Christ is coming again. That is a 100% fact. We don't know when. Jesus said that he doesn't even know when. Only the Father knows. But he will return. When he returns, will you be ready? Have you answered the question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Is he Lord of your life? Is he your Savior? Have you repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and begun a new life in him? Now the call of The call to discipleship is costly, but it is worth it. I mean, think about the disciples. This band of brothers, all but one of them, we are told, died a martyr's death. They gave their last breath proclaiming the good news of salvation. These men understood the cost. You and I also need to understand the cost of following after Jesus. It involves a cross. It involves us abandoning our life for a better life, a better life that is to come. Let us take up our cross and follow Jesus. If you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you were to die today and you don't know where you would spend eternity, I want to invite you this morning to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Come this morning. Surrender your life to Jesus. Abandon your life for a better life. Come this morning repenting of your sins and acknowledging that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And if you do that, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. If you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to stand, and I want to invite you to come. You may be here this morning, you've been visiting this church for a while, and the Lord is leading you and your family to become members of this church. If that's you, then we invite you to come as well. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then... I'm going to invite you to come.
Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for the privilege of being in your house this morning. Lord, I know that this is one of those messages that incredibly difficult to preach, and it's also incredibly difficult to hear. Because no, none of us want to, to, to hear words of, of dying. None of us want to hear that we have to strap um, a, a form of execution upon our back and carry it. Nobody wants to carry a, a cross. Because the cross is heavy. It's burdensome. It's difficult. None of us want to do that. But Lord, that is the kind of life that you have called us to. And Father, we also need to understand that in the midst of us dying to ourselves, in the midst of us taking up a cross and following after you, there's also the promise that you gave us. In John 10.10, we are told that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have come that we may have life and have it abundantly. And we can live it to the fullest. And Father, we know, Lord Jesus, that there is great joy being a believer. There is much happiness that we experience as believers. And Father, we do that because we live our lives obediently to you. And part of that obedience is dying to ourselves so that we can live for you. And so, Father, help us to do that. Help us to grasp what it means to be a disciple, to abandon our lives for this better life. Father, if there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, I pray this morning that they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, there may be some here this morning, Lord, that just where they're at, they need to just kneel. They need to sit down. They need to pray. Father, there may be some this morning that need to come to this altar and pray. There may be some here this morning, Lord, that you're leading to become members of this church. Father, we don't know what decisions need to be made during this time of invitation, but we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will move. First, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, there's a decision you need to make. You come. Instruments is just going to play for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to come this morning and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to turn your life over to Jesus. Come if you don't know Jesus this morning. You come, you come, you come.